and welcome to our podcast, friends. We're doing it, Matt. We're going to make a podcast. So uh, welcome to Ballot Boxing, where Matt and Christina, friends you don't know yet, talk about the Oscar Best Picture nominees. Usually Matt and I try to watch all 10 nominees prior to the Oscars airing, discuss them amongst ourselves. So now we're just going to record those discussions. Yes, drop in. It's gonna be it's gonna be a fun ride. It's it's called ballot boxing because we are going to verbally spar over the candidates. Discussion will be a plenty. Fantastic. Well, let's get started. Hi, honey. Hi, darling. <laughs> so we're back with another episode, uh, and we watched over two days, uh, all quiet on the Western Front, and this will be the first Oscar-nominated film of twenty twenty-two that I did not finish. No, you didn't. No, I did not. Un unsurprisingly, this really isn't your genre. It's not your cup of tea. Truly. You like movies that make you happy. Mm -hmm. We've ultimately, already, yeah, we've already. Or make you sad for like a good reason. Yes. And this one, I think, made you feel despondent and despairing and disgusted. How's that for alliteration, by the way? That's great. I like um, that. All the Ds. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but what was it, 30, 35, 40 minutes in, you were No, like, I watched the whole first hour. Yeah, and then you were, you were done. You, you said, were sort of like, I could see out of the corner of my eye that you were on your phone, Yeah. right? And you're looking at trivia and like finding, trying to find a reason to like it, I think, right? Mm -hmm. You put in the old college try. Yeah, and then I walked away from it and have not looked back. And Matt watched the second hour and 20 minutes on his own today. So he has lots of thoughts. Uh, my thoughts, and I have some thoughts, I have some well, questions. Well, should we summarize the plot? Like, that's the sure. format here, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm, okay, sure. We can summarize the plot. Okay, why don't, why don't you summarize it, Ugh. and I'll, I'll fill in what you miss. War is bad. World War One <laughs> was really bad. World and War dirty. World War One was full of mud, and it's sad. Okay, can I just clarify that? And everybody died. <laughs> they didn't make this movie to make you angry, just to, to be clear. I'm not angry. I'm just... Like, maybe I am angry, actually, <laughs> because I don't understand why we we need war movies. I just don't get it. There was a time when they made war movies because it was supposed to be patriotic and inspiring. Yes. And it was like tales of bravery and heroism. The, that, and we still had people that had fought in the war being depicted. Yeah. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore. No. The, 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 all, like, of the movies that have been made recently set in the war, it's really sort of a war is hell. Mm -hmm. motif i'd say dunkirk stands out differently um even though there are some pretty hard to watch and difficult elements in it but that one that one's a little harkens a little bit back to like old stories stories of valor um whereas like 1917 or fury the brad pitt tank movie um have like a real nasty edge and seemingly want to depict everything as sort of viscerally and realistically as possible and this film is is like that one so the plot. Uh, the plot. So we, we start off, first of all, it's German subtitles. We start off with our four young friends. Don't ask me to tell you their names. Our main character's name is Paul. And they, we start off with them in their hometown, which seems completely untouched by the war. It would have been. And they. That's, that's realistic. Yep. Because the war was really fought in one swath of land. On the Western Front, it was a very small, narrow band of conflict and everything else was untouched not saying it's not realistic just okay. letting you know that it's untouched by the war right. which explains I, okay so have we mentioned that i'm a history teacher matt's a history teacher so i i am not my inclination is to correct historical inaccuracies or things that i i sorry i didn't mean it it's gonna be the best podcast guys. 
this is going to be the best episode. So, uh, okay, so we start off in our town with our four friends. They sign up for the war. Actually, it's not true. We start off in a horrible trench with our with a character that we never really meet, whose last name is Heinrich. And then we follow his jacket. After he's been killed in the war, we follow his jacket, which is eventually given to our main character, Paul. Because at this point in the war, things are so desperate. They, they are taking the jackets off of bodies, washing them, and giving them as new uniforms with the names of the dead soldiers still intact uh, to, to our new, uh, very young, very wow. naive recruits. Yes. And then we follow Paul and his friends as they get picked off one by one in what looks like hell uh, in the trenches of World War One. Yes. That's basically the plot of this movie. Yeah, we stay with them. The The plot picks everything up in sort of mid-1917, and the movie ends on Armistice Day, uh, November 11th, 1918. There you go. There it is. There's the plot summary, okay. folks. Um, so this is a film nominated for Best Picture. There's no nominations for anything else above the line, but it is nominated uh, widely, I think, in a lot of the technical categories. And I can below the line. Below and the I line. can I can see why. Mm -hmm. uh, I can see why it's it's a real feat of filmmaking to make you feel the things that it feels, even if I didn't enjoy it. Two things I want to get back to. One is. Uh, that we've already established what what Christina wants in, a, in an Oscar nominated film. And the same it in any movie, right? In any movie, I want it to be saying something, and I want it to uh, be entertaining. And this one is neither. <laughs> I, I Matt might have a different opinion on that, but I feel like this had nothing new to say, and was the opposite of entertaining. So um, that's thing number one. And thing number two is I am mad. And do you really want to know why I'm mad? I'm mad because I don't have. Yes, I want to know why you're mad. Yeah, I don't <laughs> have the time to waste on crappy movies. We have, oh, we have... now don't be. It's not a crappy movie. It's just a movie you didn't like. There's okay, a difference. Fine. A movie I didn't like. I don't have the time to waste on movies that I I don't that I, I'm not going to enjoy. Yeah, I don't I, have time for my I don't have time for my uh, leisure time to be unenjoyable. Okay, there's not hours in my day for that. Right, and I should have known better going into this one. Right, so I'm really committed to the podcast. That's I, really what this this shows. I understand why you don't find it entertaining, certainly. Um, and you would hope that like if it's not entertaining, it's it's compelling in some way, even if you're not. In, in finding enjoyment in no, it completely indifferent um but yeah I didn't you care about any of these people yeah you didn't care about any of the people I also, and you right, didn't care about the history no right from, I, I care about the history but you, I just, you, there was nothing nothing wasn't teaching anything new no exactly these are already things i already know i don't understand why we have to keep making war movies that's a question i have for you for later on is why do we keep need to keep needing to make war movies i feel like this is a man thing i really do i feel like men need to like relive the you know triumphs and losses of the past like it's a i think it's a real a real male this psychology one, thing this movie is not not doing that it's wallowing in the misery of it it's yeah. there's nothing celebratory about it at all I, there's it, no element of this that's uplifting. it's not it's not that it needs to be celebratory i think there's like part of the of the male psychology that that like enjoys watching war even if it's depicted as horrible or it's depicted as victorious i don't think it matters i think it's like the blowing stuff up yeah and the living in mud and the rats eating bodies like all but, of it and that was i think i'm gonna sound like a film nerd and i'm, I'm probably getting this wrong but francois truffaut i think said that there's no such thing as an anti-war picture because in any depiction of war and violence there ends up being some sort of thrill element to it um and that 
any movie, even if it tries to be an anti-war picture, even if that's the, the idea behind it. And I think the novel certainly was an anti-war novel mm -hmm. and any filmed version of it would theoretically have an anti-war bent as well. Um, it still manages somehow to make war interesting, if visually not, appealing. If not glamorous. Yeah, not, yeah. and I wouldn't say this movie's that doesn't no. glamorize anything. Everything is covered in mud and yeah. feces and, and blood Rats. and guts. Um, but it's still, there's something like grueling and uh, challenging about it that would attract viewers. I, I think I agree with you that it's these, I mean, this movie is intended, I don't want to say it's intended for a male audience, but I think the target likely is not a demure, beautiful woman like yourself, um, but instead somebody who's either fascinated by history yes. or obsessed with violence, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, from here on in, folks, it's going to be Matt talking. So just brace yourself for that after the break. Okay. Just just me solo. Eh? Just Yeah. I'll ask you some questions, but it's going to be you talking because I'm done talking about this movie. Okie dokie. I'm done wasting my time on it. <laughs> So, Matt, what did you like about this movie? Okay, so from a purely filmmaking perspective, um, there's a lot there's a lot that's impressive about it. And I think we established that in our, our first uh, bit of the conversation. Um, the opening sequence is really, I thought, really compelling. Uh, it really gripped me. The, the battle sequence less so than the actual processing of the, of the uniforms. I thought mm -hmm. that detail... Um, told us a lot about the, the German war effort, about the nature of the, the attrition of World War One, the scarcity of resources, both human and material. Um, the idea that something would be scavenged in that way and sort of like hotly recycled. Like this wasn't a, a situation where this the jacket sat around in storage for a while. No, they seemed to have a whole processing system that where it was... And it was so my, urgent. Yes, my impression was that it was from body to new soldier within a month. Yeah. So there's the, the the speed of that and the the urgency with which that was put to film, I thought was really compelling. And I, that really drew me in early. I liked that too, actually. Yeah. We're looking for things Christina liked. That was something that I thought was yeah. interesting and compelling, both because I didn't know that, that that happened. And because I thought, oh, this is going to be the story of the jacket. Right. And I don't want to be a history nerd, but like Germany was fighting a, a war on two fronts, fighting against the Russians and then the French and the, the members of the Entente, which included we fellow Canadians fighting, uh, fighting part of the, the, the British Expeditionary Force, the Canadian Expeditionary Force. Why were we fighting in World War One, Matt? Uh, because Canada was a dominion of Great Britain and had no choice. We were drawn in. But why was the war a war, is my question. Oh, that's a long story. Oh. There are a lot of long-range causes I'm... of that. It, 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 we don't have time. Okay. To I, get knew, into I know it. it started with the, the guy in it. That's, yeah, that's the start of Queen Elizabeth's. It was the assassination family. of France. Ferdinand, right. who was the crown prince of Austria, who was and his wife Sophie, Queen Elizabeth. No, not that I'm aware of. No, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Okay. We can litigate that later. All we right, we can do that. an addendum later on. Okay, so there was a war. Continue, Matt. Yeah. What else did you like? About okay. It? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought the cinematography was beautiful. A lot of this movie takes place outside. Mm -hmm. Um, the scenes of no man's land and the trenches are the set design is really impressive. It's really detailed. But I thought the cinematography in the establishing shots of um, the exteriors, the forests, the snow falling in the fields, um, the villages that they pass by. I thought that was the way that was shown um, looked really, really good. Um, 
and again the, the set designs the details of the trenches the water in the trenches and the the futility of like trying to maintain um soldierly details in the trenches they're bailing water out with their helmets and it's just pouring right back in again mm -hmm. sort of the pointlessness of all of it um was very good and i also thought that the the depictions of battle um captured the chaos and disorientation really well although and i think it was purposeful i think the director was repeating the same motifs and having the same things happen paul kept running out into battle and everybody around him would start to fall and then he'd trip behind a log or behind a dead horse or behind uh into a shell hole a crater and suddenly survive like he was miraculous time and time again and you, i guess it builds a sense of dread to see him like oh my god he's lucky again oh my god he's like some at some point his luck's gonna run out what else built a sense of dread matt the uh <laughs> This is something I really liked about the movie too. There is there. It turns out there is a list of things that I like. Yeah, that you can appreciate cinematically yes. without liking the movie. There we go. Um, the uh, the score, the three tone note. I don't even know what instrument it was. Oh, I don't. I right, it almost it. sounded like a synthesizer. A synthesizer, yeah. or like a really deep bass. Like I don't even know yeah. what do, it was. Do, do. Yeah, just create it. Um, over and over and over a sense of dread yeah. of of imposition of like being pressed down upon mm -hmm. of of compelling you forward um and the 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 imminent doom that they all faced it the actors almost acted as though they could hear it too mm -hmm. which i thought was kind of interesting mm -hmm. right they obviously they couldn't but that was that was quite cool and i thought like a lot of the the camera movement moving across the battlefield tracking shots where the actors are moving not side to side across the camera, but toward the camera quite a lot, um, was very, very interesting. Um, and I thought like ultimately the the circular nature of the plot um, and the repetition of some of the things that happened earlier, you wouldn't know this because you didn't make it to the end, but um, some of the things that happened early are sort of replayed again late in the film. Um, and I think that was effective too, right? Because it, it leads you to think that the cycle that Paul went through in the course of the time that he's in the battles, um, his his story had been told already before. Mm -hmm. There wasn't one anything particularly new about what he went through, what he experienced. So those are all things that I liked. Um, Is there anything you didn't like? Yeah, there were things I didn't like. I didn't think that um, for a very well-known novel um, with, in the novel, subtlety and nuance in the characterization of his compatriots, his comrades in arms, um, in, in this, depiction of the of the story the other soldiers are hardly known to us um with the exception of his older mentor cat um who uh, paul reads a letter from home at one point to him while they're sitting in a privy pit um they don't really we don't really know enough about them we don't really even know anything about paul and i think that's the a critical flaw mm -hmm. um in the book um, Paul takes a trip home. He's on leave at some point. He leaves his comrades behind. He goes home and revisits the village and his parents and his sister. Uh, he spends some time out in the town. People know that he's been fighting, that he's a soldier, he's in uniform. And they begin asking him really intrusive questions. And he realizes his whole identity is now wrapped up in this. He's lost who he was before. And that's important for his sense of his sense of loss and his sense of losing his sense of self. And um we don't learn that in the movie. In the movie, uh, we're just with him on the battlefield. It's as though once he's dropped in the battlefield, he never leaves it. And I think the, the missing home front element is important to telling the story well. 
So I didn't I didn't think that was particularly good. We almost we know basically nothing about him. Similarly, the Daniel Bruhl character, um, and he's probably the most well known actor in the film. Um, he's playing some sort of a negotiator who's been sent to the front to try to negotiate a peace with. Is he uh, the guy with the mustache? He's the guy with. Well, there's lots of guys with mustaches. Well, the one that was in the car when I right. was still watching. Yes, um, and uh, you know I he's really vaguely introduced we don't really know what he's doing or what is what the point is we learn a lot through exposition later on um and some of the people that he's around are just so obviously um portrayed as being like fat gluttonous rich spoiled sheltered individuals who didn't um care at all and the callousness of them seemed a little one note a little one-dimensional so that's again problem with characterization mm -hmm. um Almost to the extent that it, you'd think maybe this would have worked better as a miniseries rather than as a movie, but I, I'm 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 talking too much about this. I think some of the other things I already mentioned the the problems with the writing. Um, you know, not seeing the home front is problematic, mm -hmm. um, and I I don't know what, I don't really frankly know what the motivation behind that is because there was a lot that happens it's padding in the middle of the movie where time has elapsed, and there's there would have been nothing stopping him from even having a daydream about where he'd been or what he what he'd come from. Mm -hmm. Um. The end title cards, the end note cards were really like on the nose. It was like for people who didn't know World War One happened, mm -hmm. right? So many button. thousand people died. Million, in the yeah, yeah, this many million people died. The ground that they fought over was never really, nobody went anywhere. It was over a few hundred meters in each direction. Um, all the carnage was for nothing. Um, I didn't love that. Mm -hmm. uh, I just thought it was like, is that what the movie's for? Is it supposed to be educational? Because it um we didn't need it if that's the case we didn't need it for that purpose um i also thought that uh the the scene where paul commits murder for most of the movie he's he's sort of shooting randomly he's doing a lot to just try to survive um and then there's a scene i shouldn't call it murder i don't know if it's murder in war but he, he kills a french soldier in shell hole and um the the death in the book and the subsequent aftermath of that takes hours he stay he remains with the the his victim for quite a long time. He has conversations with him. He searches his person for notes and letters and things like that, and um, uh, makes it his mission to atone for that. Um, this is this all happens very briefly and quickly in the movie. There's a long scene, and we stay with the guy as he's sort of dying. But um, ultimately, I don't think that was a, a well written scene. I think that they could have spent more time with that. I feel like you have some questions that we can answer after this or try to discuss. So let's take a quick break and we'll come back with our final thoughts on oh. All Quiet on the Western Front. Okay. Okay. And we're back. So Matt, uh, Matt made like a pretty awesome list of things he wanted to talk about here on his little in, lot his, of notes. in his little book yeah. and uh so i just see the word curious on here so what was your what, what questions did you have leaving this movie so there there's some historical inaccuracy in the movie that is very deliberate and um can only be for dramatic purpose it's interesting because what ends up happening is that and this is a spoiler so those that are interested in seeing the movie um, you might want to tune out for a few seconds here. Skip 30 seconds ahead now. Um, the the German general, or whatever he is, compels all these young recruits with like 20 minutes left to the 11th hour on the 11th day of November to uh, have one last attack on the French. Um, 
try to catch them off guard and, and do as much damage as possible to claim this town that they'd been fighting over for all this time. Like he's just not willing to admit that, yeah, the, this, this village isn't ours. We never want it. And it was all a waste. So he needs it to mean something. Um, and the director makes the interesting choice to show the French sort of at ease in their trenches, sort of waiting for the clock to run out and they're caught unaware and they're talking about their losses and their, um, their similarities to the Germans are very interesting and very close. And I wonder if the point was to point a finger at the, the German director pointing a finger at himself to say, like, look how barbarous we were mm. ultimately. Um, or was it meant to show the French unaware so that it raises the dramatic tension? Like, hey, maybe our guys are going to have one last victory. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not sure what they wanted to do to give us this hope of heroism, which is the, the, the motif in a lot of war movies, right? Is it the last second the, the soldiers pull out some miracle? And maybe this is like some untold story of a miracle of a, a, the German seizure of this French trench. Um, but ultimately, like, it, it, it was really strange to spend as much time as we do with the French. And then it's a very disorienting battle where things sort of get turned around and which way is up and down is difficult to say. And you thought that perhaps the opposite of that, pointing the finger at the French and the allies was the point of the armistice signing. Yeah. So they, that was the other thing. So they, he was trying to keep it balanced. Yeah. They, they bring, well, look, everybody was wrong. Yeah, everybody was right. There's like, scenes where uh, Daniel Brühl and his, his uh, cohorts are bringing, um, they come to the French generals to ask for an armistice, to ask for a ceasefire and, and to negotiate the peace. And the French generals are obstinate and sort of demanding, like, you need to ask for this. It needs to be very clear what you're asking for. And they, you know, they're all ridiculously attired in these, these costumes and the big bushy mustaches and things like that. And, um, you know, they're all sort of piggish and yeah, they, they depict the French in such a way that like, they were miserable to deal with and, and really um, un, unrealistic and unfair. And it, they depict them in that way. And then they depict the French later in a, in a, in an entirely different light. So it's, it's a, it's weird. It's hard to know where the politics are of the filmmaker on this, but they also like have them essentially negotiate the terms of the treaty of Versailles in the French countryside. Mm. I mean, the treaty of Versailles wasn't signed for another six months. Germany waited in a in an agonizing limbo for that time, waiting to find out what the terms of peace were going to be. Um, and seemingly, the terms of Versailles are agreed to by Daniel Brühl, like basically on the front. Um, and he says, this is a peace that we'll hate. And that's true of the peace ultimately. But it wasn't, I don't think, something that happened right there and then. Mm. And I thought that was just raising the dramatic stakes mm -hmm. unfairly. Like it was, it was um, manipulative a mm -hmm. little bit. Um, one other thing I mentioned, I, I, I think bears mentioning, and this is just me being a bit of a movie nerd, is that the Paul character... A bit. A bit of a movie nerd, folks. <laughs> the Paul character is constantly like falling face down in the mud mm -hmm. and coming up in the mud, like drying on his face. And mm -hmm. he's, he's like covered in chalk and he's white as a ghost and his eyes are huge. And that's very reminiscent of the, the male protagonist in a very moving and uh, you think this movie is upsetting. Uh, very difficult to watch a uh, war film that you can find on Criterion called Come and See, which I think was recently on the British Film Institute's list of... And I bought for you. It's Russian, right? Yes. I bought it for you. You did. Yes. And I will never be watching that movie. Not ever in my life. No, but mm. there, there's, they're cribbing from that movie a little bit. Right. In terms of like some of the, some of the horrible things are happening off screen, right? A lot of the horror actually happens off screen. We do see a lot of really 
terrible and upsetting things and on the screen. Aftermath. Yes. Is seen. Yeah, yes. you see a lot of aftermath. So that's those are my notes. Okay. That's what I have. Let's so go I, to our, let's go to our regular our regularly scheduled uh, questions then. Okay. Can you make the case that it's best picture? No. Okay. This is not best picture material. This is neither entertaining nor uplifting nor had nothing nor had anything new to say. So no, this is not best picture material. Sorry. No. Hard pass. Okay. I think it's a legitimate candidate for best foreign language feature. Absolutely. Right? That was another reason I was ticked off, as we talked about last night. We So I really have a problem with nominees for best picture also being nominated for best foreign film. Because I feel like best foreign film is, I know that technically it's not as big an award, that the big award of the night is best picture. But like, if you're getting nominated for best foreign film, that's like the best picture of the rest of the world. So why, why both? It makes no sense to me. And I think that that's going to, it's going to win that. Mm. It's going to win that and good for it. We had no problem when Parasite did that though. Did Parasite win best foreign film and then win best picture? It did. Well, I didn't have picture. I didn't have a problem with that. <laughs> and that's because Parasite's a great movie. Um, no, I just, I, I did not. Yeah. I, I don't, I have a, I do have a problem with that. Even for Parasite, I have a problem with being nominated in both categories. And I think that it's going to win best uh foreign film but that it's not there's no way it's going to win best picture okay so the case you could make would be um in appreciation for all the technical wizardry of capturing the battles staging the battles there's, there's very little cgi in this mm -hmm. um it all seems very practical and um the, the sound design and the set design and the costuming and the makeup is all really effective um so you could make the case in that way but it's hard to make the case when None of the actors are nominated. The director is not nominated. That this is a legitimate best picture candidate. It's probably farther down the list um, than than the, the some of the movies we've reviewed already. Mm -hmm. um, so, I guess think to wrap things up, we need to just like figure out where it fits on our list, right? Mm -hmm. um, where do you have it right now? Do you have it as above Elvis and above Avatar? Ooh. You didn't see the whole thing. No, uh, no, I hated this more than I hated Avatar. Is this, this is a bottom five out of the 10 for you? Yes. And you want to lock that in? Categorically. Yeah. Um, I think that it's probably like right now, again, slotting things the way we have, I had Top Gun slightly ahead of everything everywhere. I would put this above Avatar and I would put it definitely above Elvis in terms of an achievement in filmmaking, mm. even if it's not particularly entertaining mm -hmm. um from a sheer entertainment value that's why i think i have top gun at the top of the list if i was to lay a wager at this point though um i don't know that i'd be betting on top gun but i certainly wouldn't bet on avatar i certainly wouldn't bet on elvis and i wouldn't bet on all quiet on the western front either as much as i wanted to like this there's our thoughts folks thanks for listening we did it we'll be back what's our next movie What's our next movie? So we've watched five. I would just like to say, we're, we're halfway through, folks. That's a kind of a big deal for us. Um, uh, Banshees, so, maybe? Uh, either, you know, Banshees is, is staring at us, and then we will have completed the first five alphabetically as mm -hmm. well. Um, so it looking, depends on what we're in the mood for. I'm looking forward to every single other title that we're going to watch, and that includes The Fablements, which, due to other podcasts and stuff that we read and listen to, I'm actually looking forward to now. Okay. Yeah. So it'll be probably either Banshees or Fablemans. We're gonna we're gonna have to work pretty hard to find women talking because yeah. it's kind of come out of theaters. 
So we're going to have to search around and see what we can find. It's probably going to be the last one we watch because we have to probably wait till it comes on a streaming service. Yep. Which I think it will, though, in order to gain traction prior to the award ceremony. Fingers crossed. Anyways, we will see you next episode with another movie and our thoughts. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye for now. Bye.